and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, I have a question. Yes, Erin. Did we just come up with the technology to invent hard seltzer? I always called it like vodka and soda on the rocks, but it seems it's taken on a whole new mystical form. It's like all of a sudden there was a breakthrough and now there's hard seltzer everywhere, which I mean, I don't begrudge because it's a fine alternative to other summer drinks. But why now? Did you just have your first White Claw? Isn't that what White Claw is? Appropriately, I had my first White Claw in Palm Springs, and I was like, this is going to change my life, and it didn't. It's not surprising. (laughs) This week, Senator Tammy Duckworth, Naomi Ekparrigan, and Michaela Watkins join to tackle the following. How does pressure to be one of the guys contribute to a culture of sexual harassment? Why would we even want to say what President Trump thinks of as the suburbs? And does working toward being okay breed complacency, even during the apocalypse? All this and more right now. All right, let's get to the news. It might not surprise you to know that the news isn't good this week. This week had as, as a few especially really, really bad stories. Um, I mean, honestly, this first one out of Georgia has really kind of fucked my head up. I mean, it sort of made me think like, you know, the old post office slogan, neither snow nor rain nor heat nor gloom of night nor fire nor nor hurricane nor plague can stop the GOP push to do horrible things to women's bodies. So let's get started with the story out of Georgia. A nurse that works at an ICE detention center in Georgia called Irwin County Detention Center has filed a horrifying whistleblower complaint against a facility. Uh, the nurse's name is Don Wooten, and she claims that the facility has detainees being coerced in large numbers to have hysterectomies. Many of them are Spanish speakers, and Wooten, who filed the complaint, claims that they don't understand what's being done to them or why. It also alleges that hysterectomies were performed on women who complained about things like painful periods. So no reason whatsoever. One of the most disturbing parts of the report alleges that one offsite doctor is a uterus collector who gives hysterectomies to just about every immigrant they see. The complaint quotes a detainee who says the circumstances were, quote, like a concentration camp, and it seems that experiments were being performed on their bodies. Outrage has been swift, and several Democrats, including House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, have called for an investigation into this shocking report. So all of this, once again, from the party that calls itself pro-life. And Alyssa, um, apologies if this is a leading question, but is the term pro-life just a marketing term designed to obscure the fact that at the root of the pro-life movement is a fascist push to force white women to have more babies and endanger the health of black and brown women in an ongoing push to turn America into a white Christian ethnostate? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes to all of the above and the fact that you could be like an auctioneer at Sotheby's. You said that so fast. So good on you. Uh, No, I mean, Erin, come on. My favorite, favorite thing from all the Looney Tunes conservatives has been like, this story is uncorroborated and therefore untrue and all the sources are anonymous. That's what the complaint's supposed to do. Get an investigation. I mean, also, I mean, are they are the pro-life people just stupid? I'm sorry, but are they? They tell on themselves all the time, and now the whistleblowers have to tell on them too. You and I saw the story about the same time, and it's like, could it get fucking worse? Could it get more grotesque? And it couldn't. And the worst part is, this is like not new. Mm-hmm. You know, like this has been happening for a really, really long time. And the thing that 
I love about us when we get ready for our shows is that we don't just like read the news and go on with it. So I went pretty deep in the history of how we have screwed around with women forever, mm-hmm. N- mostly women of color. Mm-hmm. And and is- anybody, oh, sorry, anybody with no. reproductive organs. So I want to be inclusive with our, even though we're saying women, we mean yes. people Aaron, that with was reproductive a very organs. good catch. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, women is shorthand. Let's just use it for shorthand. Women, you, people who have a uterus, right? Ovaries, etc. And I went back and med, read about the Madrigal 10 back in the 1970s, who Ugh. were 10 women in Southern California that had gone to the hospital. And like, this is the point that people were also skimming over with the whistleblower account, is that... It's also coerced. They're being told that they need these procedures for false reasons. And so Mm -hmm. back in the 70s, this was fairly rampant. And women who did not speak English were predominantly Spanish-speaking patients were told while in labor that if they didn't have a hysterectomy, their baby that was currently in their stomach might die and that they needed to do this right away. So these women got together uh, after it sort of came out and also sort of like made a different stream of feminism. Like white feminism was mostly about your right to not have kids and Chicana feminism was about like a different idea of reproductive justice, which I think is very important. And uh, of course, of course, a male judge was like, I don't really think this is a huge problem and separated all 10 cases so they did not actually get the justice that they deserved except... In California, it was mandated that the forms be in Spanish as well as English. But anyway, that was just my trip down bad memory lane. The idea that people would defend ICE against these allegations by saying that it's not corroborated, like, dude, history corroborates it. America was forcefully sterilizing people who are considered low IQ. Yep. Um, America was forcefully sterilizing black women. Um, America was forcefully sterilizing and controlling the reproductive options of native women, indigenous women. And like you said, California has done horrible things to Spanish-speaking women and also to inmates. Yep. Um, There's a lot of coerced reproductive control of inmates. And you know, a thing that also, sometimes I forget because I live in the U.S., the greatest country in the history of the world, actually not. I'm saying Allegedly. Saying that tongue-in-cheek. But the United Nations defines imposing measures intended to prevent births with within the group as an act of genocide, which is an international crime. That is crime. Mm. We're not supposed Mm -hmm. to be genociding people. No. We're not supposed to be genociding people. And when we talk about reproductive freedom, it doesn't just mean the right for women to access uh, low-cost birth control or the right for people who have female reproductive organs to uh, be able to have abortions. We don't just mean not having kids. We also mean people having the right to access reproductive care, whether or not they choose to have children and to not be coerced by the state into having or not having kids. It's not that complicated a concept, letting people control what happens inside of their own skin, regardless of how rich they are or poor they are or what language they speak or anything. Like a person who has the capacity to think for themselves should be able to control what happens to their bodies. I mean, Erin, it can kind of be summed up in that very retro bumper sticker, my body, my choice. Yeah. I mean, how how many times do we have to repeat that before people get it? I feel like it's a simple concept that is just impossible for certain people to grasp. 
So uh, I want to pivot really quickly to another story, um, and that's just kind of an update to a story that I know that I've been following, you've been following, and a lot of our listeners have been following. On Tuesday, the city of Louisville reached a $12 million settlement with Breonna Taylor's family. The city of Louisville will pay her family uh, $12 million. That settlement comes six months after she was killed in her home during a no-knock police raid for a person who didn't even live at her address. The settlement also includes police reforms, including changes to the approval process for an execution of search warrants and the expansion of random drug testing of officers. Alyssa, what do you make of this? I mean, it's a start, right? Like that's, I mean, it was sort of reported on like, there you go, tied up with a bow. And it's like not remotely tied up with a bow. It took six months to get this far. And the police officers still haven't faced tons of repercussions. Uh, They still have not been criminally charged, though they're on administrative leave. And so I think it is excellent that her family received a settlement. Um, I think it's the largest settlement ever for a woman of color. So I guess that's good. Um, I mean, it's better than the alternative, but um, there's still a lot more that needs to happen. And so, yeah, still a lot more. I mean, I think like in the push toward police reform, people like you and me who tend to be on the progressive edge of what we believe when it comes to police reform need to be really diligent of the fact that there's going to be a lot of attempted goalpost moving here. Yeah. Um, There's going to be a lot of half measures that don't really fulfill the requests, but still are like a sort of shiny object over here. Like, yeah, of course it's good that Breonna Taylor's family got $12 million, but that's not what the movement for justice for Breonna Taylor and for all black and brown people harmed by police. That's not what they're seeking. They don't want money. They, I'm sure that anybody would want to have their loved one back Absolutely. or to prevent other people from losing their loved ones in addition to the fact that they're owed restitution for what was done to their loved one. I don't think it's unfair to ask for if a police officer seriously injures or kills somebody in the line of duty and it's proven that excessive force was used, that police officer should be blacklisted and not ever allowed to work in law enforcement again. If they're not going to be facing legal repercussions, they shouldn't ever be allowed to be a police officer again. I don't think that that's a ridiculous request. And, you know, there are other requests by people who want justice reform that I think are totally reasonable and we shouldn't be distracted from the fight for them, even when settlements are awarded. I mean, lawyers who break lawyer laws get disbarred and can't practice law again. So, and this happens like a lot of different industries. So I feel like if you are a police officer who has gone above and beyond willfully, you know, like that you have really violated every sort of tenant of of whatever oath you take when you become a police officer. Yeah, you shouldn't ever be allowed to do that again. Yeah. I mean, look, if you're a journalist, a writer, and you get caught plagiarizing. It's a problem. Nobody dies when you plagiarize. You are marked. You are not going to get hired again unless you're Benny Johnson, who is just a professional, <laughs> professional fucking idiot. Um, unless you're like a conservative gadfly with no shame. You're never going to get hired anywhere Again, it's a real upward battle to overcome misconduct in any other industry, except not law enforcement. It's ridiculous. Um, this is sort of a like pivot, but have you noticed a lot of like black trucks with those fascist police blue line 
American flag stickers on them. Oh, I have a lot to say about this. Yes, I have. Keep going. Okay. When I went on our, we went on our trip where we drove to see my family and then to see Josh's family in Pittsburgh, I saw them everywhere, everywhere. A big black truck with all, you know, black, I don't know what the trucks, the fixins, black fixins <laughs> on the truck and a, like a fascist police bumper sticker inevitably driven by two bald white guys. It was Real weird. So up here, upstate New York, they have been popping up everywhere. And there's this one family that I grew up with. Several members of the family were in law enforcement and they had one of the flags up. And my friend was like, well, maybe they don't know, like maybe because they're all in law enforcement, they put the flag up because, you know, they are proud, blah, blah, blah. And then They had a yard sale, which they wrongly called an estate sale. It was not an estate sale. It was a yard sale. And guess what, Erin? The flag was down. You know why? Because they know exactly what the fuck it means. And they didn't want to repel people from buying their old lawn chairs. So it has been everywhere. Also, I have to say that up here, there are a lot of red trucks where I am. Mm -hmm. And some of them have painted the Confederate flag on the back of the uh, cab. Do you point them in the direction of the Mason-Dixon line? It's like hundreds of miles, hundreds of miles away. As someone in a Subaru who doesn't have a gun rack on her car, I mostly let them go by me. But it's a weird thing. It is a weird thing. It's, you know, also Confederacy lost, but whatever. Yeah. I mean, why do you want a flag of losers? I'll need to remind them of that the next time. South lost. You live in New York. (laughs) Mason Dixon lines are that away, and a lot of people <laughs> down there don't want you there either. The reason I brought up the like weird black trucks, I saw them in Missouri, I saw them in Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin, uh, Minnesota. I've seen them in California, South Dakota, of course. I saw them in. Um, I think that in circles that you and I run in, and that a lot of listeners run in, it feels like the overwhelming tide is toward police reform, Mm -hmm. toward preventing what the police did to Breonna Taylor from happening to anybody ever again. But the people that are against that are really emboldened right now. Mm -hmm. Like, they're not afraid to drive around like a fascist, you know? They really feel like this is their time. And a lot of them, I think, really want to incite violence and discord. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, anyway. I mean, this is just maybe me wearing a tinfoil hat, but whatever. Um, Okay, finally, I wanted to talk very briefly. I guess maybe Donald Trump has been kind of waving around the idea of the suburbs as something that (laughs) voters really super want to protect, that it's a bastion of like safety and housewives and local milk people or whatever like weird retro idea he has of what it is to live anywhere that isn't a golden tower in Manhattan. What do you think he means when he says that Democrats will abolish the suburbs? So Donald Trump thinks that Ward and June Cleaver are still alive and living in the suburbs of 1960, whatever. Um, And when he's telling people that the suburbs are going to get abolished by Democrats, he's trying to say gated communities for white people. And first of all, half the voters in America, if I'm not mistaken, live in suburbs. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of people who look different, who live different, who act different. 
you know, some drive the black pickup trucks, some have Subarus, all different kinds of people. And it's like his pathetically coded, not remotely coded language that somehow if the white ladies who voted for Trump and made him president in 2016, if they haven't been repelled by all of his disgusting shit, he's hoping that they still understand that he's going to try and keep the suburbs white. That's what he's saying, Aaron. It is no more nuanced than that. I wish I could put an even sharper, pointier tin hat on to be cool and nuanced, but that's it. It's He's trying to say, uh, I'm going to keep the suburbs white. I'll make sure that ICE keeps raiding <laughs> migrant workers so that we can't have food or apples because those aren't even jobs that white people want to do. He's just going to keep it white and fucked up. That's what he's saying. You know, okay, look. I think I'm going to make some people mad with what I'm about to say. But Uh-oh. my my entire life, I have only lived in a town of a thousand people. I, then college, which is not anything. It's just a Catholic Disneyland where I went to school. And uh, big cities. I've only lived in rural and urban areas. Mm-hmm. I really think that the idea of the suburb that Donald Trump is touting is this sort of in practice, it's not this, but in his theory, it's a sort of like cultural wasteland where everybody can just go to chain restaurants and not talk, not have to talk to any black people. His concept of the suburb, which does exist in some places still, although that's not every suburb, his concept of the suburb is this, it's a liability. If you grow up in that environment and then try to go out into the world and exist as a person in a multicultural country, it's a liability to have grown up in a place that is totally airbrushed and sanded down and manicured. And I'm a big proponent of the fact that everybody's childhood should have a little bit of wildness to it, whether it is going out in the woods and seeing a bear and being like, is the bear going to bite me? Or learning how to ride the subway as a kid. You know, like Mm -hmm. there should be some sort of risk and there should be a forced mixing and encountering of you and something that is different from you and Donald Trump's aspiration to put everybody in these little snowflake pods is just it's the Truman show it's the Truman show it's every 80s horror movie where it's like look at this bastion of safety here's Freddy Krueger gonna kill you in your bedroom like it's uh ooh, it's poltergeist the suburbs are being invaded I, I just I don't think we really need to save that concept of the suburbs. I'm totally fine with people living in a house with a yard within driving distance of a major city, but like aspiring to just surround yourself with sameness is just not my cup of tea. You're playing yourself if that's what you're doing. It's not my jar of jam, sister. Not not my jar of jam. <laughs> it's just not. Oh my God. Did you just invent that? I did. I did right here, right now. It's this is my jar of jam. Um, do you have any toasts or roasts for this week? Any Anybody you want to shout out or no? You know what? I don't. I don't. I've really kept to myself this week. <laughs> <laughs> I have a brief roast. Uh, I want to roast Jim Cramer, although his entire life oh, is essentially... Yeah. Can I also just say fuck that guy? Keep yeah, going. Fuck, fuck that guy. It's, his whole career has been a little bit of an auto roast. If I had been as ridiculously shouty and disastrous as he was in the run-up to the 2008 economic crash... I would not show my face in financial media again, but we live in a post-shame society, and Jim Cramer apparently still has a show, a show that I learned about this week because Nancy Pelosi was a guest, and when Nancy was on the show, he called her Crazy Nancy, Mm. Um, but then he tried to say that he was just saying it ironically. He was just repeating the... 
the president. So guys, here's a tip. If you're going to do ironic sexism, which you shouldn't do in general, it's sort of the, it is a triple axle of irony and it's very difficult (laughs) to land and don't try to jump it. If you can't do the landing, you're going to fall on your ass. But to do ironic sexism, you don't just repeat the sexism. Otherwise you're just like, fuck Jerry. You know, you're just like taking somebody else's material and passing it off as your own. Don't do it. It's offensive, and it makes you look like a big fucking idiot. Come up with your own joke about the sexism. Don't just do the sexism. And also, as we've said before, sexism is so boring. It is boring. Get a new thing. Okay, we have to take a quick break. But actually, when we come back, we have an interview with one of our top two favorite Tammies in the U.S. Senate. I'm excited. I'm excited. Who could it be? Top two. Well, we've already interviewed one of our favorite Tammies, and so now we're going to interview the other favorite Tammy. So stick around. We've got an interview with Senator Tammy Duckworth. Senator Duckworth, welcome to Hysteria. We are huge fans of both of the Tammies in the Senate, and we're really excited that you're joining us today. So thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. I'm, I'm also thrilled to be part of the Tammy Caucus in the Senate. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're big fans of the Tammy Caucus, too. Actually, I think that might be our favorite caucus in the Senate. Yeah, I think so. Of, like pound for pound, we like the Tammy Caucus the most, for sure. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Good choice. Let's get started by talking about the kind of myriad ways that the president has dealt with, we'll say that to be kind, dealt with the the military. Um, so before entering politics, you served in the military. You're one of the first women to fly a combat mission. You received a Purple Heart. First of all, thank you for your service. Is Trump correct when he says members of the military love him? He's not at all correct. And in fact, Military Times did a poll about three weeks ago that shows that uh, for one of the few times in our nation's history, a majority of the servicemen and women in uniform today would not vote for an incumbent president. They would not vote for him. So over 50% of the military right now, when asked, would not choose to vote for Trump. Hmm. Senator, why do you think, though, that Trump has said and done so many disrespectful things regarding the military? Like, what do you think's behind it? I think he's a narcissistic, egotistical personality. And He doesn't actually care about the military. He only cares about tools that he can use for himself and for his own ego. And so he likes the military when he can find, you know, generals who look like a Hollywood casting general who will play the part and follow around behind him. Uh, But he certainly doesn't understand sacrifice and honor and courage and personal integrity and, and all of those things that military men and women live by. And, and their families as well, because he's never lived by any one of those codes of conduct personally. So he can never understand uh, those in the military. And he doesn't value it. For him, they're losers and suckers because they actually choose to serve something bigger than themselves, whereas he lives to serve only himself and his own personal wealth and, and, and ego. And so they're you know fundamentally different worldviews. Mm-hmm. You seem to be one of the few legislators fighting hard to keep Trump's bounty gate in the news. Can you talk about why this whole issue is so insane and how it impacts morale and even endangers military readiness? Yeah. Our military men and women and their families need to know that in exchange for their willingness to serve and sacrifice and perhaps even lay down their lives for all of us Americans, 
that we will safeguard them. We will provide them with the best equipment. We will train them and we will make sure that uh, we safeguard them in every way that we possibly can. And that's something that President Trump has not done. It's why I fought to keep the Russian bounty stories uh, right at the top of the, my priority list, because we need to be investigating whether or not this is true. It may not be true. And if it's not true, then great. But it's appalling to me that the Trump administration, uh, not only have they failed to address this with Putin, they haven't even begun an investigation to see if any of the deaths and injuries of servicemen and women in Afghanistan in the last 18 months have been tied to a bounty. Wow. Mm. Our, our troops who are about to go, the ones who are in Afghanistan right now, they're going to go out on a mission. They need to know that we're watching out for them, that we're actually, if there ain't some sort of bounty on their heads, we're going to try to, that we'll stop that and we'll hold you know these other nations accountable. But we're not doing that. For me, it's a messaging to the troops that the president might not care, but there are certainly members of Congress who do care and who will do everything we can to safeguard them. Senator, what's something that you wish voters and members of the media who weren't in the military understood about military service? That it is more than just the single person that is serving, but that it's the entire family that also serves. That when the, the, the soldier or airman or marine or sailor goes overseas and, and is serving, they bring an entire family unit with them. So that, for example, military spouses have a hard time keeping a career because they have to move every few years. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, military children have to change school constantly. And they oftentimes, if there's not a DOD school at a base where they're going, they fall behind in school because their credits won't transfer from one state to another. Um, that military families you know, give a lot and that they sacrifice also. Um, and so we thank the service member for their service, but we rarely thank the family members and the children and the spouses who are holding down the fort and who themselves suffer post-traumatic stress as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, you know, I wish more people would understand that it's an entire unit of people around that one person who wears their uniform. Mm-hmm. So we've long heard stories about sexual assault and harassment in the military. Can you tell us about your efforts to reform the way that this is handled? Well, this is something we've been working on for a long time now, well over 10 years, um, and, and we're continuing to work on it. So it's everything from now, um, there's mandatory training every year for troops to understand what is actually sexual harassment um, and what is sexual assault um, and be able to identify and intervene. So that's been a big part of the training that we've been able to get implemented because in the, when I first joined the, um, uh, the Army and I was uh, at flight school in t- 1993, I was the only woman in an all-male unit going through flight school in my particular flight class. And I reported back to a unit where I was the only woman and only Asian in the entire unit. And because I wanted so desperately to be taken seriously and be one of the guys, I did things like, you know, when they went out to strip clubs, I would go with them and sit there and nurse a Diet Coke and, and drive them all home because I wanted to show that I was one of the guys. Troops now understand that pressuring another person to go to a strip club, that is sexual harassment. That is not an acceptable behavior. 25 years ago, when I was going through it, that not only was that accepted behavior, that was seen as, hey, Duckworth's one of us. She's cool. She's, she's one of the guys. And that was seen as a positive thing. And it wasn't until 10 years after I had been serving for 10 years that I became a captain, I, I got enough rank and I commanded my own unit. And I realized that in my desire to be one of the guys, I was being a poor leader by not calling out these troubling situations when they occur. And so that is part of what we're doing, which is the training, teaching troops to identify those situations and stepping in when sexual harassment or assault is happening. At the end of the day, sexual harassment and sexual assault in the military 
is not about sex. It is about power. Mm -hmm. It is usually a more powerful, higher ranking individual exerting their control over a lower ranking individual that it's about power and we have to stop that. So we're doing everything from opening different ways of investigating and reporting sexual assault and sexual harassment, taking that out of the chain of command so that the person can be safeguarded, teaching people to recognize that they are being sexually harassed or sexually assaulted when they may not even realize that that's what's happening and then teaching others around them to step in and stop the situation from happening. And it's, it's not enough because as we're seeing in Fort Hood um, and instances there right now that um, I've actually asked GAO to do an investigation and they're doing it, um, you see that it's still happening. Mm-hmm. Well, Senator Duckworth, thank you uh, again for your service and thank you for all you do as a member of the Senate. And we are just so glad that you joined us today. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. We're back. Alyssa is still with me. Senator Duckworth is doing some other stuff. She's not still with us, but that's fine because we are welcoming two wonderful women that listeners of the show know and love. First off, she is an actor, comedian. I mean, this could be either of you, right? Actor, comedian, writer, Michaela Watkins. Welcome. Oh, it was me. It was you. Could have been you. Um, how you doing? I'm great. It's good to see you. It's great to see you. I'm looking at you on Zoom. You're wearing a, a very plucky uh, raspberry top today. Look at that. Thank you. Thank you. I haven't been going in the sun, so my complexion is very washed out, so I have to wear colors. Otherwise, I look dead. <laughs> I look very dead. Um, let's also welcome another writer, comedian, actor, and all-around Wonderful lady. It's Naomi Ekparrigan. Hello, hello, everyone. Looking good. Missed your faces. (laughs) Missed your face also. Um, I want to, Naomi, I just want to say I've been following your travails on Instagram. um, And I saw yesterday that you had another tangle with Trader Joe's. Can you share a little bit about that adventure that you just had? You know what, honey? They only had three boxes of vanilla almond, just the clusters. Three. (laughs) Now, you know I only go to TJ's every 30 to 45 days. You think three <laughs> boxes of cereal is going to last me 30 days? No. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I have another thing I'll tell you for the I feel petty, honey, because I witnessed something that will shake you to your core. Okay. I, I, my loins are girded, and they will continue to be girded <laughs> until I, I mean, hear I just want to throw it out there. Have you, have you thought about ordering it in bulk on, on the internet? Trader Joe's will not let me do that. They won't. This this is why I'm risking my life. I'm only doing it because they give me no other option. I will go straight to the distributor and get some answers. <laughs> I'm going to Karen my way into your closet. <laughs> well, that's called that's called Karening for the forces of good. Yes. If we have the power to Karen, we should Karen positively. Yes. I think. I Karen think. for the culture. Karen for the culture. <laughs> Speak to the manager and let the manager know that their employee is doing a great job and you think that they should be commended. <laughs> um, Michaela, how are you? Are you still in your out, outpost home? Yeah, yeah. I'm in the middle of nowhere. 
it's like so far holding out in Armageddon and, um, you know, our, our air is crap, but not as crappy as LA. So I'm taking that as a real win this week. Yeah. Um, Alyssa, you were telling me that in New York, you guys are starting to get some of our crap air. So you're welcome for that. Yeah. You wake up and it's like this burning sun outside the window and you're like, what's up? And then it's just this haze. And so the sun's out. There are no clouds, but it's like super creepy and hazy. Yeah. But not humidity haze like other haze. Like dead squirrel haze. Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, I was um, sitting, you know, puttering around on my computer the other day and reading a news story about how Facebook took days to take down a fake news story about Antifa starting wildfires, which is false. Mm -hmm. um, but Facebook took days to, to deal mm -hmm. with it. So, okay. So that's a, that's a real like tiramisu of ridiculous 2020 <laughs> garbage. And then I clicked over to Facebook and I saw that a couple people that I knew growing up are really into QAnon now. Mm. Um, I, re I rejoined Facebook because I feel like my part of the country where I'm from, western, northwestern Wisconsin, desperately needs people to counter all the craziness that's happening. <laughs> just need mm -hmm. to convince like, ten, I'm, I'm just trying to convince like 10 ladies, 10 Lutheran ladies in the western <laughs> part of the state to not vote for Donald Trump. And I feel like that'll be part of my job, but I need to be on Facebook to do it. Very good. That's great. So the, the QAnon stuff and, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's basically a, a cult. It's a delusional cult based on yeah. nothing. And then I then I was thinking about the pandemic. And then I, you know, looked at my face mask collection. I've like got <laughs> 10 beautiful face masks now. And I was like, God, is this normal? Like, I remember, if you would have told me a year ago that this would be what was happening in, well, God, it's September 2020. <laughs> mm -hmm. I would have panicked and just sobbed, you know, yeah. because what is now is so far away from what was normal then. But right now, I'm not waking up every day and sobbing. I'm like becoming okay. Um, but I'm worried that being okay, everything being okay, is just me being okay with this. Like, and I don't want to be okay with this. I don't want to be okay with how, like, fucked up everything is. Michaela, do you feel like you're okay? And how do you balance feeling okay with avoiding complacency in dealing with how fucked up things are? Um, to answer your question, I feel okay. You know, I, um, I'm like, how are you? I'm okay. <laughs> it's always stood out to me that in places like, Uganda, when somebody's mother dies, they say, we are not well, not, you know, she was not well, or I'm not well because she was my mother. We say we are not well. So everybody feels it. So, I mean, am I okay? We are not okay. <laughs> but, but I, I think there's two different tracks happening in my mind constantly on one track. I'm constantly playing back the Holocaust and all the events that led to it. And I see that we're falling in step with literally every single, you know, flagship point of mm -hmm. being totally on track for not just, uh, uh, you know, autocracy but, and, and fascism, but the dehumanization of people mm -hmm. and the acceptance of that, that there are educated people from, you know, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Alabama, Florida, California, down the street from me, Seattle, that think that because I live in Los Angeles, I'm raping babies, eating their plasma so that I can stay young. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't even get a peel 
you know? (laughs) (laughs) But that's like my, that's plan B. And I guess I just went for it because Mm -hmm. I live in Los Angeles and because I think Trump is a, you know, a scoundrel. So that's uh, such a nice word for it. I know. I think that's really such sweet. Such a rap scallion. Such a little <laughs> but, a scallywag. If scallywag. You will. <laughs> At the same time, like if I imploded and really held all those things in, in their fullness as they are, I would not be able to get out of bed. So I think it's that thing of try to find what you love in life. Try to find the joys. Try to find the light. Try to find the people. Try to find the inspiration. And constantly chip away. Like I have whole days where are just dedicated to phone banking mm-hmm. because, you know, I have whole days that are just dedicated to texting, postcarding, things like that. Just doing, trying to tiny bit move the needle simultaneously as trying to not completely implode my life. So that's the balance mm-hmm. that I'm aspiring to. Do I achieve it? TBD. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Naomi, how about you? Are you okay and are you worried that people becoming like people adjusting to this will lead to this just being a permanent state i know that's the tricky thing i i mean okay yeah i'm right like we're all we're fine you're right we're all honey we've got internet we can zoom you've got time for a cherry lip i'm seeing exposed (laughs) beam in Alyssa's home we're fine right but the thing is, the tricky thing is you do have to maintain some semblance of fine in order to uh, do what needs to be done. The way Michaela is saying, like, you need a plethora of stamps to postcard. Mm-hmm. Where are you getting that stamp money? You know what I'm saying? Like, you need mm-hmm. some sort of level of fineness because the fact is it's collective action, right? Mm-hmm. This stopping hinges on collective action. And the mm-hmm. only way we can kind of combine forces is if we are okay. It's that very classic, put your mask on before helping other people. Remember airplanes? Um, so, and so I think that's that's what it is. Because like, you know, I have never been like, oh yeah, this country's doing great. Like even before Trump, like I knew he was going to win. And I'm not saying that in like a, just more so in the sense that I was like, this isn't in the bag. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So this feeling of like, all right, we knew this. We knew this shit was percolating. We knew it was percolating, mm-hmm. and now we've been pushed. And the question, and the thing is, it's like you don't want to live in a state of like. At least for me, I know when I get really depressed, I become catatonic. It doesn't really, you know. Other people, I think their anxiety can move them, you know, and they get active. Whereas I get afraid and I kind of get still, and so that's not helpful for the revolution. So mm-hmm. I have to be somewhat okay in order to be of service at all. Mm-hmm. Alyssa, how are you feeling about the current state of the world and the, like what Naomi was saying, the collective action that's arising from the fact that that a lot of people aren't okay with this? Do you think that there is enough alarm and that we have enough energy to actually fix what's wrong? That's a very big question. Um <laughs> So here's the thing. We have on television today, it's the 25th named storm. We're not even in the worst part of hurricane season yet. 
we're literally going to enter the Greek alphabet next. I don't know that I recall Hurricane Alpha, but it's coming. Um, we have oh, no. people, you know, like the thing that's just so hard is that like climate change is real. We're seeing it everywhere. There are people who are bidding, being hit by wildfires and hurricanes that are believing QAnon and believing the president saying that like Democrats are making this happen or climate change isn't real. And so I think that... I look at everything that's happening and I am, I do my best. I think like Michaela and Naomi said, like, look, I'm fucking, I'm fine. You know, I can't complain. I, I literally, other than the fact that upstate New York has run out of Concord grapes, I can't fucking say shit. (laughs) And like, you know, and it is, there are so many people, like everything that we've talked about, like so much of what we do is like, when you go to the ballot box and when you think about what you have to do, it's like, I'm not doing it for me. I'm doing it for people who need my help and for people Mm -hmm. who need extra hands on that arc, bending it towards justice. And so I think that some things will, if we all get together and we vote in a democratic Senate and we get rid of Trump, like I think things will change, but things aren't going to be fine for a long time. You know what I mean? Right. Mm -hmm. That's how I feel. Well, we still even have to push that Democrat, you know, that mm-hmm. feeling of like, I think totally. that's the issue. The thing is like, I think a lot of times, and I don't think it's wrong, like everyone's energy should be towards getting people to vote, no doubt. But also realizing that that's totally. step one. Mm-hmm. That's part one. We all do that vote, right? Then we got to keep doing it. Because I think that's the hard part is that like, what can kind of suck is that none of this stuff is like fun and glamorous. You know what I mean? Like the revolution will involve stuffing envelopes. Exactly. And I think yep. that, like, nobody, that's not what we think of, right? Like, even when we think about our history, we think of, like, you know, Birmingham and Selma and, like, the drama of the march. And it's like, a lot of it might be texting. You know what I mean? Like, a lot of it might be, you know. It's true. It yeah, is. Just, and it's just like, watch Mrs. America and, you know, they had to make mm. bread. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I think that's the, but at the same time, right, that kind of work, that is the job of the fine. So the people who are fine, as you said, like that extra hand doing it from someone for someone else, Alyssa, like it is kind of on those who are okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've just been thinking over the last week and a half or so, I've just been feeling more and more like, I think it's a com- combination of two things. I feel like things are kind of on a razor's edge right now. Like it could it could go either way. Mm-hmm. You know, we could I I'm like playing in my mind just how I would feel if Joe Biden won, which is okay, good. 4 years of arguing with someone who will actually listen to me versus how I would feel <laughs> if Trump won, which is like uh fuck. Fuck. Mm-hmm. Fuck. Fuck fuck fuck. I think part of the reason that I feel like it's so on a razor's edge, despite the fact that polling is looking good for Joe Biden, mm. a lot better than it ever looked for Hillary Clinton, even with all the adjustments being made. Okay. Yeah, it, it it looks good for him, even with the adjustments that they've made since 2016. So in 2016, in the run-up to the election, everybody thought Hillary had it in the bag because but she really wasn't leading by that much, especially in the states that she needed to win. And in a couple places, she was within the margin of error. Part of the reason that polling was so fucked in 2016 was because they undersampled people that go nuts for Donald Trump, Mm. uneducated white voters. So this time they're trying to oversample those people. (laughs) Um, And even with those oversampling, Biden looks good. Like, so yes, that's, that's good. Like that should give me the confidence to like, carry on and, you know, do postcarding and volunteer to to work at at the poll and and do some phone banking. 
But at the same time, like I'm, I've got such, and I don't want to use this word lightly. It, it's not PTSD in a clinical sense, mm-hmm. but I have like lingering, like traumatic associations with 2016. Of course, I don't think I think that does count as PTSD. I mean, think about it. I have not woken up and been like, yes, hello, world. What do you have for me today? <laughs> One day since 2000, since November of 2016. Right. Every day I wake up, my body seizes, and I reach for my phone, and I'm like, go gentle on me, sweet Twitter. <laughs> I had a sexual nightmare about Mitt Romney the other night. That's how stressed what? out I am. Oh, yeah. my God. Were you in his binder? Were you in a binder full of <laughs> No, but I did take a bet. At one point, I was supposed to be going on a date with Mitt Romney, and he said he was really busy and sick. (laughs) And I showed up to the restaurant, and he was there on a date with another woman. Oh, my goodness. I know, and I was carrying a backpack um, full of uh, plastic plastic crabs. I hit the backpack against the wall. I I hit the backpack against the wall as hard as I could, and the wall fell down. But it was like I was like the 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 jealousy of an angry lover. I felt like that about Mitt Romney. That's how stressed out I am about the election. My brain is spitting that shit out. Right, that would be a great campaign ad, by the way. Which is like, are you a sexy, even keeled, moderate Republican? Republican, call me. <laughs> I'll call you and try to convince you to vote for Joe Biden. Um, Alyssa, how like how worried are you about? Our ability, like, how worried are you about the election? I'm worried, man. Like, I, I held my tongue yeah. while you were talking about polling because I have something to add to that that no one's talking about. Huh, do okay. it, do the, it. While they're oversampling, blah, 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 there are people now who are even more humiliated to admit that they're definitely still going to vote for Trump, who oh, just wow. aren't admitting it. Like people who four years ago were like, he's a businessman and I'm going to give him a chance. Now they're like, okay, fuck. I know he's racist as hell, but taxes. <laughs> and they're still voting for him. And they are everywhere and I have seen them. And so I think that, I think it's a problem. I think that we cannot underestimate the appeal yes. of these things yep. that he's been doing in the Rose Garden. Uh, yeah, You know, like, I mean, aside from the fucking RNC, but like all these peace treaties that we're not really paying attention to, people are paying attention to them. Normal Mm -hmm. people are like, look at all this shit he's getting done. What's wrong with the media? They don't say anything. And I do think that this is the tip of the iceberg. I think that he has, I just think that they have a lot of stuff planned. And so I don't trust anything until uh, it's a fait accompli. Well, I also feel like the thing is too, is like, it's, the racists have a reason to come out. Right. I think for many years, they didn't think they were like the system. They said, fuck the system in general. Right. And then Trump was like, oh, a guy who gets it. He's going to stop the Browns. And then they were like, let's, let's get in a caravan and go vote this time. And I'm just mm-hmm. worried that, especially with these images of BLM protests, that gives them even more. We got to get out there because they are destroying things. And that sweet Kyle Rittenhouse was just trying to help. You know, like even the fact that you could spin that yarn is wild. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, and I think that's the thing that is. And so that, that, and then I think because he's so, he's always been really good at saying like, I'm the victim and he does it early. So the thing is, it has to be a blowout, right? Like he can, he has to lose by a lot mm-hmm. in order for him to even go quietly into the night. 
Mm-hmm. You know, because he won't. No matter what, we we ain't heard the last of his ass. Okay, he mm-hmm. got money. He liked to rent out stadiums. He gonna be doing shit. And the <laughs> so life or death for him. I mean, as soon as he leaves office, he's gonna be charged with a million and one things. So many things. Oh, really? So All the crimes. All so the- he has to stay in that office yeah. so he can be have immunity. You know, and I mean, Michael Cohen thinks he's going to. I mean, but who? Michael Cohen huge grain of like a brick of salt thinks that uh if he loses he'll resign mike pence will become the president and donald trump will get pardoned yeah oh that's pretty good (laughs) yeah i gotta say it's pretty good how how say what now so if donald trump loses the election he could resign Uh on november 10th or whatever Mm -hmm. okay and uh mike pence would become the president and then Mike Pence, using the power of the pardon, could pardon Donald Trump and any of his cronies in between then and Inauguration Day in January because there's the lame duck term. Oh my God. Yeah. But here's wow. the question. Would, he'd have to be charged with all the crimes in order to be pardoned, right? By yeah. January. And they, and they can't be state be, crimes. They'd they can only be, be federal. federal crimes. Okay, yeah. cool. I, Just making sure. I, <laughs> New York's got a lot cooking. I... <laughs> I hate how much I have to learn about being a lawyer during this era. It <laughs> so fucking true. sucks. Yeah. This is not my job. I did not go to law school for a reason. This is not my job. No, Aaron, please dissect that dissenting opinion from the Supreme Court. <laughs> but, is, but isn't <laughs> oh. that interesting, though? It's like, as, as we talk about the rise of, like, QAnon, there's also this other side where it does feel like Trump made people pay attention in a way that they yeah. didn't before. We took a mm-hmm. lot of stuff for granted, and then he came in, and now it's true. It's like, now I'm like, give me that brief. Let me mm-hmm. read that subpoena online. <laughs> it's true. I read nothing before, and now I'm like, mm-hmm, exhibit B, bitch. <laughs> I'm like, did I just go canvassing during a midterm election? <laughs> I mean, that, that was the thing about, uh, about I, I did this tweet where I kind of said, because now there's like sort of new studies that some Gen Z people are really sitting out this election mm-hmm. because, you know, they're not one vote away from getting the thing that they want, right? right? That, that, you know, you vote Biden in, okay, he's not maybe a perfect candidate for Gen Z and Gen Z wishes and needs. And I totally understand that as a progressive lady. I love looking at your cat's ass <laughs> just walking by just dominantly. Um and uh, they're like, oh, you know, we need a more than a two-party system. Da, da, da. I get that. I understand. But it's all hands on deck right now. And right. so I, I had tweeted out, you know, don't make the mistake that my generation did, Gen X, where we were sort of complacent and we were apathetic. Everybody's like, we had rocked the vote. We made George Bush Sr. a single-term president. Like, what are you talking about? Speak for yourself. You're Ross Perot actually did that. <laughs> <laughs> and, I was, and I was like, Bull, I call bullshit. Yeah. Like, don't tell me you rocked the vote. Like, did, you didn't think twice about your school board or right. your <laughs> running for assembly. Like, you, you have no city council, nothing. Right. You couldn't name a single name. Now I can. Now I do. Now I'm constantly thinking about who's at the you know micro levels of government in a way that Trump really ignited in me. Right. And mm-hmm. I just want to, you know, really think, no, I don't. I know. <laughs> for anything. I don't want to give him credit for anything. But if I had to, it would be that he made me angry enough 
that I cared. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, Gen- Generation X neither rocked the vote nor took back the night. I think we can probably <laughs> all agree at this point now. Um, I was also looking at a poll from Wisconsin yesterday that found that like Generation X is the one that is really breaking hard for Trump. Like it is a it is the elderly and millennial coalition. <laughs> really? Wisconsin. Yeah. Wait, Gen X is breaking. Yes, it's like, it's no. terrible. For, yeah, forty five to sixty five is big time Trump supporters in okay. Wisconsin. And uh, yeah, sixty five plus for Biden. Under forty five for Biden. Forty five to sixty five. But I, you know, I sort of get it. I watched um, Ghostbusters with my niece the other day. New one um, or old God- one? My goddaughter, the original. Oh, okay. Um, and she's five, and I'm watching it, and I'm like, you know, this probably falls under your Aaron the movie category of like, how does it hold up? And. It he is so rapey. Bill Murray's character is a predator, <laughs> a straight up predator, a bro. And I was like, oh yeah, this is how early it was getting infiltrated into our minds that like guys can just take and do whatever they want, and we will cheer them on and laud that character and want to see that another scoundrel <laughs> in, in every movie. It, and and so it kind of doesn't surprise me that we were weaned on Caddyshack and everything else where. Just like these bullish, entitled pricks mow down everything in their path and everything is there for the taken. I mean, and that seems like the kind of model of Donald Trump's entire personality. It's mm-hmm. all like a mm-hmm. like a carcinogenic <laughs> 80s, 80s bully. True Biff. He's Biff. He's true He's Biff. Biff. Yeah, he was, he was Biff. Back Biff to the based future. on him. Like yeah. very Biff. That's like, it's, it is so interesting, the extent to which we say we're okay, but it's like you're okay until you're not okay. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it seems like there's a very sharp turn that happens. Right. Like we're chugging along. We're paying our bills. Everything's fine. And then a fucking wildfire hits and then Mm -hmm. you lose your job. Like it goes from fine and not fine so quickly. Mm -hmm. And it's the question is, how do you how do you stop that? How do you stop that? sharp turn Mm -hmm. because it is easy when you're fine to be like it's not as bad as you think Mm -hmm. like i don't know Alyssa. you live in a place like upstate new york my impression of it girl you know go for it i'm I'm imagining it is you know it's very um it's very trumpy it's very Mm -hmm. conservative it's very uh monochromatic it's full of pilgrims white folks and they got their guns and they pick up trucks Mm -hmm. where i am is very uh blue collar suburban ish it's not really mm-hmm. suburban. It's more rural. But it was like voted for Obama in 2008, voted overwhelmingly for Trump in 2016. So, yeah, it's a real gambit. But I guess living in that space with your POV, you know, you're kind of like you're inside. You know what I mean? You're on the other yeah. side. You know, we talk about collective action and it seems like it is places like where you live where it could go both ways and it didn't go the right way. Mm-hmm. What do you think needs to be done? Like, what do those people want to be hearing? I'm sorry. Did I just like go on a whole nother level, Aaron? No, 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 no. When I get Alyssa, I'm like, tell me the facts. You work for Obama. Get me in. No, it's like dancing on the head of a pin for sure. You know, I mean, there are people, interestingly enough, when I'm at the grocery store, I have a really just ostentatious bumper sticker collection on my car. (laughs) And people, I will say this, people will ask questions. And so this is like, well, why did Mm. you support Bernie? You have a lot of Bernie bumper stickers and Warren (laughs) bumper stickers. Why did you support them? And the thing that I have found is that how you explain things just Mm -hmm. matters so much because I'm like, actually, I just really think that every person in America deserves health care. Like, I just, I believe that. And they're like, oh, like that's it's it's all in 
like, and this was something that right. I always thought that Barack Obama and actually especially Michelle Obama were both very, very good at, which is why we won the coalition in quotes of voters that we won, is mm-hmm. that he never was like, you're stupid. That's wrong. She'd be like, no, tell me more. Tell me more about your family. Why do you think that way? Oh, oh, mm-hmm. I get it because your kid's, your kid's school has fallen apart. And so, like, I think that there are so many reasons. Yeah why people think and feel the way that they do, which is why, and we've talked about this a gazillion times, like you don't paint everybody mm-hmm. with one brush. But I do think like for me, Antonio Delgado is my congressperson here. I've been to his town halls specifically on my birthday. <laughs> and I, but he, that's how everything he does. He leads with, a, he always responds. If someone attacks him with something that's very QAnon, you mm-hmm. know, centric, he'll be like, well, tell me where you heard that. Tell me, tell me why you feel that way. Who else feels mm-hmm. that way? And so mm-hmm. I think that it does take, but that's like to the point that Michaela was making earlier, that the person to person contact, the phone calls, the postcarding, I think it really does have an impact because mm-hmm. not every, like, you know, I say it sincerely, like a lot of the people here who still think Trump's okay, honestly getting information in very, very bad places. And the minute you're like, hmm, no, no, Democrats aren't eating babies. They're like, but, mm-hmm. and you're like, no, check it. Why don't you just try like the Associated Press? <laughs> just right. Check them out. So I think that there's a lot of work to do, but it feels, it feels doable, but not exceedingly so. The thing that makes me actually lose hope the most is the fact that you, no matter what you say, no matter how much you sort of engage, and I have engaged with people on Twitter just total strangers, just randomly pick somebody and go, why would you think that? You know, I like, do you really, and, and we got to a place, the stranger and I was like, I think both sides are actually pretty misunderstood. I was like, fair enough. You know, um, his whole thing was that Trump doesn't get enough accolades for the things he does. And we're so ready to jump all over everything that he does wrong. And that if maybe we had just acknowledged some of the good things he did, but everything he he said was a good thing. I was like, but that's not true. And mm. I can back it up with all these um, articles to show you and stats and data and info, you know, actual mm-hmm. true data. But you're going to say MSM, mainstream media, misleading mm-hmm. fake news because they have really done such an incredible, going back to the Holocaust, uh, effective job at mm-hmm, completely mm-hmm. removing truth. And and that to me is the is really the nexus point and the biggest factor of why I lose faith. Well, we just, we, we have to wrap this up real quick, but before we go, I just want to do a quick kind of upbeat end to this conversation. <laughs> so um, I think we all probably either saw or read Charlotte Atler's piece in time about mm-hmm. the QAnon people in Wisconsin and how in, how like literally nutburgers people are mm-hmm. living on a different plane of reality unreachable people, like you're saying, Michaela, I would counter by saying there is something that happens a lot of times when people from coastal cities try to cover parts of the country where they don't live. And it's not a reflection of anybody being not a good journalist, but it's diner syndrome. Like the Mm -hmm. people who are willing to talk to the media are Mm -hmm. invariably Uh crazy by several degrees over the average person. Like if somebody wants to talk to you and they're a famous person, it's because they feel like they can get something from telling you things. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're a regular person, it's because they have nothing better to do with their time and they're probably lonely. So it's a self-selecting group of people that go a little bit 
little bit over the top compared to the general population. That being said, I think that it is important to remember that this is a really crucial time. And if we're not doing everything we can, we're not doing enough. Everything we can within, you know, our our own capacity as, as people who are trying to be fine and okay, despite all this stuff. Okay, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to do I Feel Petty. Welcome back. Before we get to I Feel Petty, a little bit of housekeeping. As we head into the home stretch of the election, Crooked's nightly newsletter, What a Day, will have you covered with breakdowns of the daily developments, the state of the race, and all of the context you need to get actively involved. Written and curated by Crooked's hilarious Sarah Lazarus and the Crooked team, you're going to love getting this in your inbox every weekday. If you're not signed up already, subscribe to the What a Day newsletter at crooked.com slash subscribe. Okay, we are back. We're almost at the end of the show. But before we go, we want to take some time to be petty about things. I think that's the best way to end the show this week. Um, Naomi, since you have to run, why don't you get started? What are you feeling petty about this week? Oh, my God. I have two, but I'm going to have to focus on, you know, what I witnessed um, outside of the Trader Joe's. Okay, I saw two young women masked having a chat in a corner. Hey. And then one woman pulls down her mask and sneezes. <laughs> Are you out of your good goddamn mind to think that that is a thing to do? Y'all, I thought my head was going to explode. I felt as close as I've ever felt to being like a cartoon. <laughs> my eyes like fully popped out of my head. I understand the impulse like in a non-pandemic world, right? Because if you sneeze in your mask, you're like sneezing on yourself. But the whole point of the fucking mask is to block the droplets. And she said, come on, droplets. Let's go hang out on Hollywood and Vine. <laughs> and I thought to myself, she should be arrested. And that is why maybe it's petty. Because I said, you know, I say defund the police. But before you defund them, they got one last job to do. And that's arrest this bitch. Arrest this bitch. Can you imagine? I said, lock her away. Lock her away. Citizens arrest. I couldn't believe she did that. And her friend didn't seem to mind. The person she was with didn't do anything. So, you know, whatever. Maybe they live together, like whatever their situation is. But I was disgusted. I was sickened. I want nothing but the worst for her. I I hope she never thrives in any capacity (laughs) ever again. Wow. I think that that is petty but rational. That is horrifying, Naomi. I, I, Mm -hmm. I commend your continuing to carry on with your life despite witnessing something so horrible. Horrific. Thank you. I am a survivor. I am on the front lines. Um, <laughs> and I am a paragon of virtue. It is such an example of like talking about what is the new normal and how do we adapt that some people just, you know, it just for now, everybody's normal is completely graded differently. You know, for that woman, her friend was just like, sneeze all over me, Katie. I love it. <laughs> And then for you, who's actually like trying not to get COVID, right, you know, right. that is an assault. And it will just, we, we can't even agree on that. I know. <laughs> I know. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't oh. believe it. I oh want her God. dead. <laughs> well, 
I mean, that sort of hygiene in a pandemic is not going to lead to a good health out- outcome for anybody. Um, Naomi, thanks for joining us this week. I know you got to run. Yes. Good luck on your, your test. I hope you get an A. Thanks. I, was, I had the window up when that bitch was sneezing, so I better go ahead of COVID. All right. Bye, y'all. All right. Bye, Naomi. Bye, Naomi. Okay. Now let's, uh, the three of us, get petty about the things we're going to get petty about this week. Um, Michaela, do you want to go next? I do. My pettiness is just more like about my um, my inability to just sort of ever not look for the worst outcome of anything. And a great example of that is, you know, my pettiness is me. Like I'm very annoyed with myself that I can't ever just, you know, move on from something. I've been waking up in the middle of the night in my 40s, very hot. Very, very hot. I feel like I'm an easy bake oven inside my body and it just, the temperature is going off the charts. I know nothing about hormones. I'm a woman. I work with women. I talk about women's issues. I'm passionate about them. And I could not tell you how to rescue myself from my own body. I know nothing. I know there's things called bio dye something or others. I know that people <laughs> have creams. I don't understand like if you're still getting your period, am I or am I just like do I have covid? Do I have am I having a hot flash or do I have covid? I don't fucking know. I don't know. And I have a gynecologist who also doesn't feel like telling me. Yes, I still go to a man. He was very funny the first time I went to him and like comedy really just is a real great uniter because I was like, you could have access to my vagina. That's fine. You're very silly. Um, and I just don't know. I started going down this rabbit hole on the internet where the reason I don't know and many people don't know is because guess what, guys? They only do testing on male rats. Male rats. That's Ugh. the problem. For anything health-related or anything medical and why? Because the fear is that female rats, <laughs> you're like, write this down. Yeah, no, what, what are the female rats going to do? The, the fear is that female rats, because of their hormones, fluctuate too much. And then I find myself seeing that if for male lab technicians, male lab technicians and scientists scare the shit so much out of lab rats that they can't even get a normal read on lab rats because they lose their pain response. So they can't even get a read on what is actually painful for lab rats. This is, oh, the, man. This is the, the whole, the rat hole that I went down. <laughs> and so not only do we need more female scientists, if you're going to be torturing animals to get data, they're not even in 2020 using female rats to understand how things work differently on women. And this is not a petty thing. This is probably under the umbrella of actual, a big thing. It's just what's petty is that this is what I do when I wake up (laughs) at four in the morning in sweat. You're like, how can the entire history of science serve the fact that I am hot right now? Why can't it fix it? (laughs) And that I'm going to blame science for me not understanding how to soothe and take care of myself. So all the things that you said are correct and wrong at the same time. Um, oh, what part's wrong? <laughs> no, so here's the thing. Don't, the internet, careful there. The, what you want to do, so as a 40-something woman who's getting hot, I can tell you from mm-hmm. personal experience, it's not a hoax. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the best thing to do that's completely homeopathic 
is unsulfured blackstrap molasses. It helps get your hormones rebalanced. What? Yep. Yep. Now I'll send you a whole link down. about how – I mean, mostly you can take a spoonful. That's a lot. Or you can <laughs> dissolve a tablespoon in hot water with some lemon and just drink it back. You will notice a difference, uh, I think. Black I did. strap molasses? Correct. That sounds like something from a Western. So you know I love Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> So I consulted, though, a 40-something-year-old woman who never birthed a child, which is also part of when your your body starts going haywire sooner than mm. women who have uh, birthed babies. Mm. But uh, I consulted a doula, a friend of mine who's a doula, and she's like, I got you covered. And so she told me to try this, and I tried it, and it helps. You don't have to do it all the time. Like, take it for a couple days, you'll feel better, and then take it again. Send me this link. I will. Um, you should also read, there's a whole book written about the absence of women in data science. It's been, mm-hmm. that was super fascinating. It's called Invisible Women and it's by Caroline Criado Perez. Mm-hmm. It came out a couple years ago and it's, it's really, it's like about how cars were designed without thinking about women and pain meds and like all of these products and things in a way that's actually dangerous. It's really, really interesting and it'll make you mad, but you'll be, uh, it'll be real tedious at parties on the upside because you'll be able to tell people all the things that didn't consider women. Do we think I'm wrong about the rats? Because I, no. I, I've, yeah, because that I have found so many articles about how they just don't use female rats. I'm not all for using anything that's living to like figure out how to work with humans. But if you're, they're going to, if it's a thing, if it's happening, like, you know, maybe let's figure out women's health. I mean, it's just half the population. Do you know what I mean? Honestly, you know, all of this research into specifically how medical science can help men, and yet there's still such babies when they're sick, you know? Mm. Um, okay, I've got an I feel petty. So I was thinking um, this week, I was thinking about Michael Cohen and his book about, you know, the Trump administration, all these people that are sort of like the rats, speaking of rats, fleeing the sinking ship of the administration, attempting to sort of rejoin polite Washington society now that they've like, you know, ridden that pony until it's not going to ride anymore. I really want to start a PAC, a political action committee that will go on for the rest of my life. Uh, And I want to call it Grudge PAC. And the entire purpose of Grudge PAC is to make sure that nobody who ever worked to serve the agenda of Donald Trump gets away with it. Mm. I want there to be like I want to I want it to follow them for the rest of their lives. I don't want it to be okay for fucking uh that the um DHS woman Kirsten Knut- Hammer what was her li- whatever her name Knut- was whatever what a, you know who I'm talking about yeah. the, the 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 terrible air one of the one of his Kajurston army Kirsten Nielsen her yes Kirsten yeah one of the one of his army of terrible Aryans, uh, she should not be able to get a contributor contract on a cable network without it following her around for the rest of her life. Ivanka Trump should not be allowed to speak at women in pantyhose summits or whatever for the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be okay for Mark Meadows to get a job as a high-powered consultant or lawyer for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Sean Spicer should be black. Grudge Pack will make sure that no like matter pa- where these Paul people- Ryan skirted out. Maybe he were like, you no. don't get a pass, but you, you skirted out just before the very worst of the worst. Yep. Yeah. He's still, he's still going to be a grudge pack target. Just oh, because for sure. But he, I'm just saying like, 
maybe just to have like a, a clear line in the sand. Of totally. When yeah. I think the Paul Ryan line will be important in, in grudge pack operations, but we'll make PSAs. We'll do uh, letter writing campaigns just to remind people of how terrible these human beings are. We will put up billboards in their hometowns about what pieces of shit they were and all the work they need to do to reconcile with society before they should be allowed to rejoin again. Um, and Alyssa, I, you know, I texted you grudge pack and you volunteered to be the head of it. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I'm ready you know, to follow people around and make sure that when Sarah Sanders tries to get a contract for eye makeup, her and her smoky eye, that that doesn't happen. You don't get mm-hmm. to have any financial upside of all the shit you exploited for your X number of years torturing the American people. Yeah. You needed like a Jimmy Carter style post-political mm-hmm. career yes. in order to come close to making up. We also need like a database, you know, like a real advanced database because the truth is there's so many, so many people who have done so many terrible things. Nobody can keep it straight for more than two seconds because we're just overwhelmed and besieged by terrible people doing awful things that I want to be able to like type in S-A-R and then like 80,000 things that Sarah Huckabee has done. (laughs) Totally. I think you can narrow your search with keywords. Totally. I I think that um, I think Grudge Pack will function a little bit like Emily's list in that we will have our our people that we Mm -hmm. we spend time trying to uh, tear down, although Emily's is, tries to raise them up. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a vision. I have a vision for Grudge Pack, and I think it'll be great. And, you know, there has to be some kind of, uh, you know, transformational aspect to it, right? Like mm-hmm. by doing these acts of good and kindness and deeds of ascension, like you can earn two points towards coming out of your, you know, out of your debt. <laughs> Karmic, karmic debt. Your karmic debt to society. <laughs> totally, totally. I think, I mean, I see it taking shape and, you know, I welcome suggestions from listeners who want to suggest people to be included in Grudge Pack. And uh, I'm only half kidding because I would do, I would devote my life to this. I'm very good at holding grudges forever against people. <laughs> so, um, yeah, this just seems like a way to work, work with my strengths. Um, okay. And I'm really good that if you're nice enough to me, I'll just, I'll just forgive you for everything. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I wish I was more like you. I'd probably be happier. Um, Alyssa, do you want to bring us home with your pettiness of the week? Oh, yeah. So real quick, kind of doubling down on what Michaela was saying earlier. I have seen so many of these fucking mental health drug commercials. All women it's like if you're feeling low and can't get out of bed to play with your kid, take this drug and you'll be a good mom again. And every single thing that they do, every like Wellbutrin, Zoloft, and let's just say I take several of these or have taken them. So this is like, but I just take them so I feel better. Not so I can specifically do things. Do you know what I mean? And so I'm tired of like every one of these drug commercials fixes a woman with their drugs to either go to work or be a better mother. And I just want to say, take the drugs so you feel better and can come on Hysteria or listen to Hysteria or go to the grocery store, do something that you enjoy. Not being better at things where you are apparently disappointing people in your lives. I just, I can't fucking take it. It makes me so mad. That's it. That was it. Yeah, like maybe show a woman going on a walk and enjoying nature rather than focusing on self-hate. Bingo! You know? Bingo. Maybe show a woman like taking out her paints and painting something because she feels like she has the energy to paint now. Like not putting on a princess costume to be a better mom. (laughs) I would just love uh, one of those commercials. It's just a woman walking in nature and she just looks up at the sky and she's like, I see color again. That'd be great. 
just pulls down her pants and pops a squat and pees and you just see her looking <laughs> so satisfied and she's You're just like, like I'm back yeah yeah you know take that and then she kind of kicks at the dirt after buckles up keeps walking <laughs> I was just picturing one of those like slow motion highly stylized videos of a woman walking her dog and then the dog takes a shit and then she picks the dog poop up and like jauntily ties the bag up and then tosses it in a garbage can she seems really happy instead of depressed that would be uh, along that line it's just have like scatological functions involved in- it's not a lot to ask <laughs> not a lot to ask um Michaela, thanks for stopping by. Thanks again. Oh, thanks it, for having me. It's, it's always so, so great good to, to see be you with you both, and and Naomi who had to go get a COVID test. You know, <laughs> uh, hey, sign me up for this pack. You know, I'm against Citizens United, but if we're, you know, we might as well start using it to our benefit. Yeah, look, if we're, if society exists, we might as well participate in it. It's Grudge Pack. Um, oh, by the way, Michaela, we just made it to Search Party Season 3, so I am getting excited to get to the... Oh, it's a fun one. To, I heard there's a really cool lawyer in it that I'm excited to watch. There's a couple. There's a couple cool lawyers. Okay. Michaela Watkins, thank you so much for stopping by. Thanks to Naomi Ekparrigan. Thank you to Senator Tammy Duckworth, the second of the Tammy Caucus that we've had on this show. We're two for two. And thanks to Alyssa for joining me as she does every week. And thanks to all of you for tuning in and listening and hanging out with us. There will be more hysteria for you next week. Hysteria is a production of Crooked Media. Caroline Rastin is our producer. Our editor is Sarah Barrett, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to Brian Semmel and Juliet Beckstrand for production support every week. Hey, 